Welcome to John Longwell Media. Creative multimedia including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's message is entitled, Always Remember and Never Forget. Recorded on November 1st, 2020 for Revive Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as one of the teaching pastors. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is John Longwell. All right, good morning, everybody. (laughs) It's interesting that uh, Neil made the comment about underground church. I was actually... I was actually thinking about that the other day, and um, early on in the days when the uh, the Chinese church was meeting underground, it was actually the largest and the most powerful church in the world because they had such limited access to the Bible. They would actually rip apart certain chapters of the Bible and share them amongst themselves. They realized the true value that was there, and so... You know, we, we question, we, we get a little irritated by the lack of connectivity that we have within our regular church opportunities, and yet God has a purpose in every single minute detail that he, that he is working in our lives. And it's even made us appreciate those small things of just driving into a parking lot, walking into a building, grabbing a cup of coffee, sitting down next to um, the people that we normally fellowship with. And so um, let's just go ahead and get... Um, into prayer. We'll get into the word. I believe that God has a powerful word for us today. So Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather wherever it is that we may be. Father God, online, in our bedrooms, in our living rooms, sitting at our kitchen tables. Father God, um, we ask Holy Spirit that you would have freedom to move, to apply the very minute details of your word to our lives. Father God, we're, we're believing for breakthrough in areas that have, have been, they're just holding on by that small strand now and they're just ready to break free, Father God, to send us into a, a brand new way of relating to you, of experiencing you. So Father God, we thank you for the for your word. I ask that right now we step back, that Holy Spirit, that you would take the forefront in what it is that you would speak to us today in Jesus' name. Um, The notes for this sermon are posted into the Facebook comment sections there, so feel free to click on that and follow along. I always try to give you multiple avenues of um, learning. (laughs) Some of us are visual learners, some of us are auditory, and so if you can follow along, you'll see how far off course I may get with the the notes that God has given me today. Um, Last Sunday, we celebrated our eighth anniversary as Revive. I actually celebrated my sixth anniversary being married to my wife. And so um, it was a it was like a double barrel celebration. And um, it's it's interesting to think that um, there's a lot of challenges that we face as Christians. But one of the most deadly challenges that we face, we may not actually think about as a regular challenge. We might think of challenges like, well, I'm not reading the Bible enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm just struggling in areas with certain sins. But if we were to think that those, that those are the biggest things that we as Christians face as a challenge, none of those would be it. In fact, the, the challenge that faces most Christians today is the most deadly disease to our Christian walk. It's so unregarded and satanically subtle, and yet it is highly successful. And it is simply forgetting God. We might ask ourselves, how in the world could I forget God? Well, we'll get into that. American philosopher George Santayana stated, those who cannot remember the past 
are condemned to repeat it. We've heard about that saying. Forgetting can be dangerous and deadly. There are those out there today that would have us forget specific um, incidents within our history, like the Holocaust deniers. They want to deny the fact that over 6 million people died in concentration camps under Hitler during World War II. We, we think to ourselves, how in the world could we ever forget about such a thing? And yet, even in God's word, he says that I'm going to, I'm going to wipe these people off of the face of the, of the earth. Even their memory will be blotted out. And so when we think about, I always use the analogy of when I was in um, junior high, the first time I ever got a locker that actually had a padlock, I would go home for Christmas break, you know, a couple of weeks. I'd come back in January. No idea what my combination was. I think the custodian had a big old bucket of my locks that he had had to break off of my locker because I kept forgetting my combination. So that's only three weeks. How much more would it be if we just continued to go on year and after year after year? What if we decided to simply put a bookmark in church and say, okay, guys, we're not going to meet until we can meet in person? two years later, what would actually happen to us as a church? Would we still be intact? Would, would maybe we scatter? What would be the impact upon our families, upon our marriages, upon, upon our lives in general? And so what we're going to see today is that one of the vehicles that God has used to help us remember is church. And we'll get into that in just a minute. So we say we could never forget God, and yet the Bible is replete with stories. In fact, about every 20 years in the Bible, about every generation, they forget about God. We read in the book of Kings and in the book of Judges, as each one of those would lead for, uh, it, they would say something like, and this leader led for 23 years and they were blessed under God. And then what would Israel do? Then Israel would do what was evil in the sight of God. And all of their people would go running and chasing after pagan gods, and they would completely forget their own gods. And what? And the reason why I know this is so satanic is because not even those that worship pagan gods would forget their God in the same way that those believers in the true God would forget their God. And so that shows us right away that there's something at play here more than just the, the natural fact of, oh gosh, you know, it just slipped my mind. Moses repeatedly tells his people um, in Deuteronomy these two things, always remember and never forget. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, he says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you. In verses 11 through 14, we continue on. He says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiply and all that you have is multiply, then your heart will be lifted up. You'll become proud. You forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then we see the result of forgetting God in verse 19. And, you f and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, 
I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. And I looked up in in the Strong's Concordance what that word perish means because I thought, well, maybe it's got some other connotation. But no, it means to be obliterated. It means to die. It means to perish. It's simply that it's you will be you will no longer you will vanish from from all existence. And that's not what we want our our um, end all to be. So the easy recipe for forget for forgetfulness is simply living well. And that, that, is, a, that is an interesting recipe. Um, he talks about as long as we have food in our tummy, a roof over our heads, cows in the garage, gold in the bank, we become self-sufficient and proud. And really, isn't that the goal of every single person? I know that when I moved out um, of the house at 18, I couldn't wait to get get my own place, to have my own car. Of course, then my parents said, okay, well, you can start paying for your own insurance. I'm like, what? I have all these bills that you guys were paying for, for me? <laughs> then you realize that maybe self-sufficient isn't all it's cracked up to be. Um, but basically what happens is when we no longer need, we no longer seek. And so we want to always have a sense of need. We always want to realize a sense of dependency upon our God. It's, um, I always look at it in this way. It's kind of like this, um, this tension that should always kind of exist there. Um, now that I've started going back to the gym, I'll notice that every couple of days that I feel a little bit sore. And if you're in good shape, you always kind of feel just a little bit sore because you've always just stressed those parts of your body that you're trying to keep in shape. I remember when I was just sitting back and um, I would, I love those Mexican Cokes, you know, the ones that come in the glass bottles. But if you drink, um, we got a case of those at Costco one time. If you drink those for a month, you'll gain at least 10 pounds because <laughs> they have real sugar and they're really good and they're really easy to drink. And so <laughs> I didn't I didn't feel any pain because I was just sitting around drinking my Mexican Cokes. But now that I've started going back to the gym, in fact, the other day I was like, oh, I think I have a stomach ache. And then I realized, oh, no, I just increased the, the weights on my crunches and now I'm starting to feel it in my abs. And we have this sense of tension. But God says that's a good tension because it you know that you're connected you know that you're in need to the god of the of the universe so i guess the question would would be how do we keep from forgetting god now the bible shows us physically how to remember god through the use of memorials and monuments and we're going to look at a very significant one in the book of joshua but before we get there we need to have a little bit of background so you can kind of understand um, why this is a significant memorial to the people of israel so under moses we know that the children of israel were in captivity um, under pharaoh in egypt and moses was sent to liberate them so after a series of plagues finally pharaoh relents and he releases the jews and they're, they've made their way out of the city, and they're, they've just now approached a physical barrier, which is the Red Sea. Well, we know that the heart of Pharaoh is very fickle, and he realizes, hey, I want my slaves back. So he sends all of his chariots and his army after them. And so God, in his miraculous power, he has Moses raise both of his arms, and at that, the Red Sea parts. And in the entire nation of Israel, they walk across the Red Sea on dry land. 
Well, in great Charlton Heston fashion, all of those Egyptian chariots are running after them and they get into the midst of the Red Sea and then Moses puts his arms down and the waters recede and all of Pharaoh's army is killed in the flood of the Red Sea. And it's this tremendous point of triumph for the Jews because they they have just been freed from the tyranny of the Egyptian slavery and now they have seen the, the hand of God move mightily on their behalf, not only in allowing them to pass through this Red Sea on dry land, but also in defeating their enemies, which was Pharaoh. So now we jump ahead under the leadership of Joshua. So Joshua was appointed after Moses passed away. See, the original plan was that Moses was to lead his people into the promised land. So they they sent out some scouts, 12 people to go into the land, check it out. We all know the story. They come back with the report. Ten of them were like, well, yeah, it's got good stuff in it, but it's also got these giants in the land. And compared to them, we're, we're, nothing, than, we're nothing but ants. And there's no way that we could overtake them. Well, only Caleb and Joshua came back with the report that says, hey, it is a, a land flowing with milk and honey. And if God says we're going to be the ones to take it, then let's go on and take it. Well, they were outvoted 10 to 2. And so God said, because of this unbelieving generation, they, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years until their unbelief died away. And now Joshua is appointed as the leader of this group. And so under Joshua, God's power and promise of deliverance will be seen in them conquering all of the ites. You know who I'm talking about? The Canaanites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the termites, all of those different ites that they were going to go in. It wasn't just going into this promised land. It wasn't like when the old days of um, in America where if you just go west and you and you uh, you develop a, 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 bit, a bit of land, it would be yours. No, they had people living in the very land that God had promised them. So they were going to have to go in and physically by force conquer these different peoples. And because it had now been almost two generations, 40 years had passed, this group of people needed to see the hand of God's power and know that his promise would prevail. And so what does he do? Now, um, Joshua, he's, he's, they're gonna cross the, um, the Jordan River. And we have the group of priests that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And the moment that those priests put their foot into the, um, Jordan River, the waters of the river part, and the entire nation of Israel crosses over once again on dry land. God likes to use these parallels. God likes to keep it very simple so that we can quickly identify with those things of his promise. And so under Moses, we have the parting of the Red Sea. And now under Joshua, we have the parting of the Jordan River as just another way to symbolize God's power and his promise. Let's go ahead and pick up in Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So let's pick up in this story in verse 19 through 24. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal, on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. So basically, Joshua takes these very large stones and he stacks them up so that they're about twelve high and they make kind of this this little monument. And then he said to the people of Israel, 
when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry grounds. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You see, memorials help us to remember because we're prone to forget. And so it's very important because how easily is it? I mean, I look at... um my wife's daughter, Adrena, she was born in 2007 and she, she was alive during those events of 9-11, but she doesn't remember them. She was four years old. I, I used to work for the airlines and so I was actually returning from a trip the very morning. Um, the very next morning I was sitting there watching the morning news and then we saw everything that happened with those events. So when I went to New York and I visited the 9-11 memorial, that was very significant to me because I remember seeing all of the, the, the debris and the smoke that was coming as the first tower had gone down. And so that's very significant to me. But we have to create, we have to purpose to memorialize in order to help those that weren't there to, to experience it firsthand. I mean, in my parents' day, it was, where were you when JFK was killed? That was one of those huge events that, that took the entire nation by storm. But I don't have any recollection because I wasn't born for almost a decade later. And so in order for us to purpose to remember, we have to memorialize it in some way, or we have to purpose to share it. And so what we're going to get into today is we're going to learn how not to forget and to use those things that God has already given us to help us remember. So the, the, the monuments in the Bible, unlike the, the American monuments, which really actually are to commemorate the lives lost, the biblical monuments, they're in to instruct and inspire the living to remember God's power and his promises. And one of the main living memorials that we have today is the church. And, and I want to say living memorial because a memorial, when you think about it, it's usually in a cemetery or it's usually at some place very serene where you basically go to remember the dead. Well, some of the churches that we go in in our, in our country, maybe you feel that there's that same sense of deadness. I hope not. We want to have that living, vibrant memorial where we continue to learn. We continue to remind of the things that God did and also of the things that God will continue to do. It's important that we gather. I had said earlier, well, what if we decided to just put a bookmark in church and, and meet when we could all meet in person? That would be devastating, I believe, to, to us personally and to us as, as our community. And so it is important that we gather. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, kind of identifies some of the benefits that we have when we're able to gather in community. It says in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, gathering helps us remember. It helps us to hold fast. And sometimes 
throughout that week from church to church. We're just holding on because a lot of times we're, we're put in those situations where we're not, re- we're not really able to be ourselves. I, I've gone from many different jobs. I've worked within churches. I've worked within nonprofits. And in those settings, because a lot of them are very Christian based, I can be myself. I can speak my mind. But many of us work in environments where, and even now as the values of America have changed even more, you basically kind of have to bite your tongue because even if you shared the very things that you believe, you, you may even have a risk of being fired because they're so po- politically incorrect in the, in the, in the current climate of which, which everything has been changing. And so we need to be able to have those places of, of resource and rescue and those oasis and the gathering really is that place where you can go in and you can share the very things that are on your heart. You can be transparent. You can finally be real and you can finally be supported in those areas that you struggle. There's an interesting word that I looked at here. When I go through the scripture, the Lord will kind of have me key in on certain words. And I really wanted to learn a little bit more about this phrase to stir up. And so when we look at it, the word really means to irritate or provoke as in a provocation, which literally jabs or cuts someone. So they must respond. And I kind of likened it to us, like maybe stepping on a nail or you're, you're hiking and then you come across a bush and it, and it has a thorn in it and, and immediately it makes you respond. And in context here, it says we are to stir up one another to love and good works. And really what that means is that we're in relationship with one another to such a degree that we're able to kind of look inside and so people can see the real me. And in so doing, they may actually see the real you doing things that maybe you should not be doing. Maybe you're struggling in a certain area and we need to be able to have people come in and look into our lives in such a way to where they can not in in a way to meanly provoke us or irritate us, but really to kind of push us beyond that place of struggle and maybe even help us walk through that struggle that we have so that we're no longer in that place. Because I know that sometimes we can we can look a little bit mean. We can come across a little bit mean. Um, and that's not really our intention, but maybe that's the situation that we caught ourselves in. And we want people that love us to hold us accountable and they can kind of take a step back and go, okay, well, what was the context of that of that comment that you made or that action that you made. And um, I know that a lot of times when I get meat, it's because I'm, because I'm hungry. Um, on, <laughs> on Saturday mornings, my wife and I, we go donate plasma. And after we donate plasma, there's this point where your stomach drops because you're so hungry because your body has now been depleted of these vital <laughs> things that you normally need. And so quickly after that, I need to go eat. And if I'm driving, you better not be in front of me because you're going to hear my horn honking if you take too long at that stoplight. So I'm thankful that I'm aware of those things that I'm like, maybe I better have a sandwich or, <laughs> or this, this could become my new personality. So we want to be able to be in relationship in the gathering where people can stir us up to love and good works. So I want us to talk truthfully about something. And it's something once again, that was so subtle that the Lord just kind of he brought to my, he, he, it's kind of like he opened my eyes to this and I was really surprised that I hadn't seen this for what it was up until now. So the, the level of honesty that I want us to get to is the fact that, you know, sometimes 
we don't always want to go to church. Oh my gosh, I said it. There's the elephant in the room. You know, you've heard the saying, I have better things to do with my Sunday mornings than to, than to go sit in, you know, in church for two or three hours. I don't need to go to church to be close to God. Why does God hate football? But when we begin to lose the battle, we begin to lose the battle when we brush off missing church as simply insignificant. Now, let me put it in context. I'm not saying that if you have a legitimate reason not to be at church, you've got something going on with your family, you're on vacation, you're not feeling well. But what I'm really describing is that time in church where you have the availability to go, but you really just don't want to. You just, and for whatever reason, you just kind of, you make an excuse to yourself and you're like, I'm just not going to go today. When we kind of just brush that off as insignificant, that needs to become a red flag. And we're, we're going to get into that. Now, once again, I'm not deifying a specific church to say that you have to go to Revive or Sol Rio or Sagebrush or Calvary or, or where, wherever it is that you may call your church home. But what I'm saying is these gatherings are significant when God and his people are present because church is the vehicle that God has chosen to touch his people. It, 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 it is his bride and it is the chosen vehicle that he has established here on this earth in order to remind us, in order to resource us, in order to empower us, in order to encourage us, in order to give us every single thing that we need to do and to walk in the obedience that Christ has called us to. So we need to recognize the feelings that we have about not wanting to go to church. They're just not rational. Because if we've truly had a life and changing if we've truly had a life changing encounter with the God of the universe, shouldn't there be a little bit of motivation to want to spend time with him and his people? And yet sometimes we barely have a few embers of enthusiasm. And we need to really look at why that is. And it's because it is satanically strategic. Now, now I'm not getting all weird and, and saying that there's a spirit behind every single thing, but we really need to look at why this would be in the enemy's um, benefit for us to not go to church. If we didn't get to church, then we wouldn't get any of those benefits that we just out, outlined in Hebrews. We wouldn't be able to hold fast. We wouldn't be able to stir one another up to love and good works. We wouldn't be able to receive that encouragement from one another. So, but sometimes what happens instead of us seeing this as satanically strategic, we simply just internalize it as a reflection of ourselves. I must not really love Christ. My faith in God must be weak. I guess I'm no longer growing in the Lord. And I even remember having those feelings of going, you know, man, it seems like it's been a while that I've really had that 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 wow emotional encounter with God. And I really started to look internally and going, I, I guess it's me. It's not us. When we start to look at these things as flesh and blood issues instead of powers and principality issues, then, then we know that there's a real red flag. All of those things that I mentioned are lies. And the reason I know they're lies is because if the devil's lips are moving, then only lies are coming out. He's called the father of lies. Mm -hmm. So here's what we need to do. We need to recognize that, as Ephesians 6.12 says, 
We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We need to recognize that this struggle isn't just against something internal, but external and spiritual and, stri- and strategic and planned and specific to us in the areas of our vulnerability. We need to recognize this truth. We need to respond to it accordingly, which is, this, which is simply this. We reject the enemy. We embrace God. We embrace his people. As James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And that can be so challenging to do because when we are so overwhelmed with our own internal struggles, sometimes the last place we want to be is church because we then feel like the spotlight is on us. We feel like everybody can read our mail. And yet, you know what? Sometimes that's exactly where we need to be. Because how horrible is it to walk around feeling horrible and have nobody notice? You feel alone. You feel excluded. You feel isolated. And at least if you're walking around in the midst of people that truly love you and they ask you that question, how are you doing? You can, you can preempt it and say, well, you got a minute or 10 minutes or three days because I've got a lot of stuff that's been going on. And that is the place where you can go and have someone pray for you. That could be your breakthrough moment. And that is the exact place that you need to be. And the enemy knows that, especially when you've been struggling. And the last thing that he wants you to do is to get assistance, to get aid, to have somebody partner with you so that you can break through. What he wants to do is he wants to press you down even further so that finally you just no longer even tap into the goodness of God and his people so that you finally just forget God because it's no longer a usable or a reliable resource. So if the devil can't stop us from going, he'll try to stop us from growing. And this is kind of chapter two of that same satanic um, strategy that that the devil uses. Have you ever been sitting in church and you just really can't connect with the speaker that's bringing the message. Maybe you're experiencing that right now. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Satan strategically targets us when God's word is shared. So let's say like you've, you've overcome that first hurdle, which is simply getting to church. You've, you've overcome those, oh, I don't really want to be there kind of thoughts or feelings. You've overcome your own flesh. You've submitted that flesh to the Holy Spirit. You've walked through the door. You're sitting in the seat and now you're listening to the word. And what happens? Distractions interruptions. Your mind begins to wander. You just can't focus. You can't quite listen. You can hear those sounds are coming in, but you're not really registering what, what those sounds are. In fact, there's, that's the difference between listening and hearing. Hearing happens without us even trying it. It's like walking down the street and hearing a dog barking or a, a horn honking or a plane flying overhead. You kind of register in your brain that those sounds are going on, but you don't necessarily register what they are. Unless you actually focus on that and go, oh, hey, there's a plane. You know, if you're like, I want to go out today and I want to see if there's any planes flying overhead. And you would look and you would hear and you would you would register that because you've purposed to do that. You're actively engaging in that process. But a lot of times what happens is we 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 go and we sit down and the enemy says, "Okay, now I want you to put on that autopilot 
that cap to just hear and not really listen, not really engage. It's because we haven't prepared ourselves. It's it's in the same way. We're coming into the Thanksgiving season. If I were to simply go in and sit down and not really even enjoy the food that that my, that my wife made for Thanksgiving or maybe someone else made if I'm going to their house, they might take a little bit of offense to that. They're like, do you realize how long it took me to prepare this meal? And you're just like scarfing it down like like it's nothing. And in the same way, when we sit down to that feast, when we sit down to the Lord's table where he's now ready to spend some time with us, we need to prepare ourselves. We need, and, and so there's, there's a way that I want us to, to think about as we prepare ourselves. Number one, revere the fact that we're going to be hearing God's word because it is an amazing document that has been guarded and passed down through thousands and thousands, a millennia of time and available to us. So number one, we need to, to acknowledge that fact that, hey, I'm about to listen to God's word. Maybe I should, maybe I should put myself in a place where this is important. This is for me. And maybe he has something that he wants to say specifically to me through this. The second thing we need to do is regard God's vessel. And when I say regard, it doesn't mean that you have to like them. You have to agree with them. It simply means that you need to acknowledge that that's the vessel that God has chosen to deliver that message for that specific hour, for that specific moment. And then the third thing is we need to ready ourselves to re receive the revealed message because that's my prayer i'll i'll start a sermon and then i'll i'll stop and i'll i'll go for a walk and i'll simply pray i'll pray over the word is this the word that you have for me god and then more specifically i'll pray for those that are going to receive the word i'm praying for you because it doesn't matter if i just hear what what I'm going to say, I've already received the blessing of preparing the word and being in the word and having these personal revelations. In fact, I go through and I cut out a lot of stuff that never even makes it to the, to the sermon. And so I've already been blessed by this. But my real goal is for God to speak through me, for me to get out of the way, for you to receive something specific that God would speak to you. I'm praying that there's a layer that goes beneath the very words that I speak that would really connect with something that's going on in your specific lives. That's the real goal of the word of God going forth to each and every one of us. And then the last one is to simply listen. And I, and I talked about the difference between listening and hearing. You see, listening requires us to actively engage and to pay attention. But don't feel bad because this does not happen automatically. This does not happen naturally. And this does not happen easily. That's why we need to partner our hearts with God to prepare ourselves to receive. But then we've also got to recognize that the enemy strategically targets it targets us so that we won't receive, so that we won't hear. It's another vulnerable, strategic, satanic target that he's always going to target. So as we begin, and you'll even do this in your own times of Bible study, how many times have you read the word of God and then had to reread and reread and reread that same sentence? Because you're like, I'm just seeing words on a page. Nothing is going into my heart. I don't, I, it's like I can't even process this. And it's really funny. You can read an entire magazine article and it's almost indirectly. And then someone says, Hey, what are you reading? And then verbatim, you can almost recite every point and subpoint of that article. And you're like, I have an amazing ability for retention. But when it comes to the word of God, it's like, 
I can't even understand what the word the and of mean in the word of God. And it's because the enemy, he's like trying to put all of the static. He's trying to put all of these distractions into our brain. And so we need to get to that place where we say, Father God, just help me to focus. Help me to listen. Help me to connect with my spirit, to the Holy Spirit, to receive what it is that you have for me today. And if we will get ourselves to that place, church will not only remind you and help you not forget, but it will transform you. It will renew you. It will resource you. It will empower you in a way that you've never experienced before. Church will become brand new, not because it's church, but because you're encountering God. You're encountering the God of the universe who transformed your life and made you a Christian. So a sign that we've really listened is when you can share what you have heard and learned with another. This is kind of the third point of Moses' big three. Moses' big three are always remember, never forget, and teach it to others. Deuteronomy 11 verses 18 through 19 says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. He's, he's covered almost every, every aspect of life saying, wherever, whenever, take time to share. And as we conclude today, I wanted to encourage you, because we're talking about the topic of monuments and memorials, now, whether we know it or not, a lot of us are already in the process of making personal memorials almost on a daily basis. If you post to social media, you're making a memorial of something that has happened of significance in your life. And every once in a while, one of those social media platforms might say, hey, here's what you were doing six years ago. That happens on birthdays and anniversaries and different things like that. And so that's a great tool that you can use. Maybe if that's not for you, maybe journal, you know, maybe you write something down in a notebook or, or blog or something like that. I know for me personally, I kind of memorialize things in my life through videos. I create personal videos. I create videos that I post on, on YouTube. And so it's not really um, important what the medium is, but it's really important that we're making an effort to memorialize those significant things that God has done in our lives. And then it's even more important that we revisit those old memorials. And I want to make a suggestion to you. I know one of the, the, the most enjoyable things that I'm able to do is, is to go and have a meal with my, with my family or friends. What I would suggest that you do before you do that, because sometimes conversation, you're like, man, well, what are we going to talk about tonight? Maybe go back to one of those memorials. Maybe go revisit one of those things that God has done in your lives and draw that out and see how significant that is in the life, in the challenges, in the struggles that you're facing right now. And then talk about that with your friends, with your family. Have that be a point of meaningful conversation in the Lord to, to really, one, revisit and remember. You're like, man, I remember this time where I was struggling so many years ago and how God had a breakthrough for me in that moment. And that seems so significant even in the things that I'm dealing with today. And then the conversation will just go from there. So as we make our own personal memorials, we will never forget. We won't have those forgotten generations. And last of all, 
It will help us to perpetuate the promise of God's power in our lives and in the lives of all of those that we touch. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we just thank you so much that you care to reveal to us even those minute areas that the enemy would be attacking us to keep from interacting with you, interacting with your people, being uh, being in a place where we can be healed and have that touch from you and being used to share and encourage one another. Father God, help us to never forget. Help us to always remember the things that you have done in our lives. And most importantly, Father God, help us to teach it and share it with others so that another generation might be blessed by the very things that you're doing in our lives. Father God, we just praise you. We give you glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com to see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content. Please log on to www.johnlongwell.com. Thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.